The following is a special encore presentation of Mance and Mitchell. Gary, Suzanne, and guests will be back in the studio again next Saturday at 10 a.m., so be sure to join us then for another edition of Mance and Mitchell right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to hour number two of Manson Mitchell, weekend style. Suzanne Mitchell and myself. Hi, I'm Gary Mance, our man at the board, of course, Mike Roberge, keeping us on air and in your ears for the hour to come. And what an hour we expect it to be. And believe me, the, the phrase, the show must go on, is especially relevant. In showbiz, man, the show must go on. And what a trooper, what a pro, what a legend. This hour we have Mr. Rip Taylor with us. Suzanne, why don't we go ahead, and I'm hoping that Rip's voice is going to hold out. We'll get into that immediately. But prior to, let's go ahead and give this man just a bit of the mad props due him for a career spanning some 50 years. We, we had to shorten this bio, otherwise we'd spend the whole hour giving his bio. But here's the shortened version. Rip Taylor has dazzled audiences worldwide in a career that has spanned over 40 years. A master of comedic timing and consummate showman, the legendary King of Confetti has headlined in Las Vegas, appearing on hundreds of television shows, played the lead in various plays and musicals, and frequently taken a dramatic turn in feature films. He played Demi Moore's surly boss in Decent Proposal, and he plays Kate Hudson's father in the soon-to-be-released Rob Reiner film, Alex and Emma. It's no exaggeration to say that Rip Taylor has succeeded in every facet of the entertainment industry, has a star on Hollywood Boulevard for movies, television, and has been introduced to a new generation of fans. Rip is currently working on bringing his one-man show, It Ain't All Confetti, to the New York stage after its tremendous success in Los Angeles. And we are thrilled to have on our show today Rip Taylor. Hello, Rip Taylor. Oh, please. I've been out. I mean, I'm an outpatient. I feel terrible up and down. My throat is gone. I had pneumonia and emphysema and everything. But God bless you for taking the call. Well, and for your willingness, Rip, to come on with us, feeling as you do, you're in sick bay and on well, the phone talking talk. to. Well, you know what happened. I was such a stud. I had three vasectomies before one took. <laughs> You know I think you I'm got saying. a lawsuit there, Rip. <laughs> We're going to send you some chicken soup, Rip. It's going to be oh, fine. Honey, thank That's... you, darling. I really need it. This is so unexpected. I got that emphysema years ago from working in nightclubs, you know. Oh, I'll be, especially in Vegas. Oh, yeah. You know, that's where they really went smoking and drinking. Jeez. You know, Rip, uh, and as far as your uh, what you're going through, and bless you for doing the show, and uh, Kazundite besides, we have had our share of this. Suzanne got it, and then through no fault of her own, she gave it to me. And I am hearing on Facebook from people all around the country who have got whatever this crud is, it's making yeah. the rounds with lightning speed. And, and here you've got it now. And I'm so macho. I mean, my God, I, I go jogging home after a vasectomy. I mean, I don't give in to it. It's just now, that it's, that's it's, definitely that's going against doctor's advice, Rip. Come on. It just took <laughs> over, and I just resented it. But it just hurts. You know, they, they have noses running. My God, I don't know what the hell happened. But thank you anyway, well, please. I hope your mustache isn't handlebars down today. <laughs> oh, not yet. The damn wax melted Tuesday. <laughs> How long have you had that stash now, Rip? How many years have you had that handlebar mustache? Oh, honey, as a matter of fact, so many years, it only grows with my lip now. The hair on top is shot. <laughs> Sometimes, I, I said you, you're I a trooper. Myself laugh. Forgive me. <laughs> you know, now that's it. Now there's a question. There's a question for Rip Taylor, and God knows I, I enjoy Craig Ferguson's comedy quite a lot. In this day and age, and if you've noticed it in a particular way, please share. But it seems that a lot of comedians are so-called giggling comedians these days, where it's no longer bad form in many quarters for somebody to laugh at their own jokes. Well, I always have because when I'm working in Vegas, those people with the, you know, uh, the money and the moolah and the armory weren't laughing much because I was a lull between the strippers, you know, <laughs> you know, so I had to laugh at something. That's how I continued doing it. But I mean, it's so silly. I, I laugh at some of the things I do. 
Uh, yeah, course, you I mean, started I out. Dolly Parton put her high heels on and pole vaulted over Tulsa. I mean, you have to laugh at these things. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Like, how, how did you ever get the, the moniker of the crying comedian when you started out on Ed Sullivan? Why were you well, the crying comedian? Happened. This is the truth. I was doing the Sullivan show. He heard about this guy, and I was doing the show, and I'm in the wings ready to go on. And Ed Sullivan couldn't read the cue card with my name on it. I'm in the wings. I'm panicking. I'm on in a minute. I'm on in a second. And he couldn't read the darn cards. And his son-in-law, Rob Bob Precht, who was a person, pushed me out on stage. And I don't know what happened. I don't know how it happened. I pulled the hair from my nose, and the tears started coming down the street of my face. And Sullivan said, oh, yes, yes, the crying one, the crying comedian. I said, Rip Taylor. He said, of course you are, Rip Taylor, the crying comedian. And that's how it stuck. You can't make that but stuff it, up. But you didn't stay with that because soon after that, confetti took over. Well, that was years after because so you have to have some moniker for people if they don't know your name because they think Rip Taylor is a made-up name and it's not. Even Rip Torn is his legal name too. It's not not illegal. It's just that it's funny. But I got it because when you do when you keep people in stitches and you're a tailor, that's what made me think of the play on words. I see. You know what I mean. And then and, after a while, uh, the uh, other thing happened. Uh, I was doing the Merv Griffin show, and the jokes were so terrible and dying. And I, I, I had five four by four four by five cards with the jokes on them, and they weren't working at all. So during the show, during the act, I, I, I said, well, that's over. I must end of my career on television in New York at, 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 on Merv Griffin's show. And I started tearing the cards up and threw it in the air. And it became confetti. I didn't even think about that. I ran up the aisle down the stage, went over to Sardis, got loaded. I go home the next day, and Merv called me. He says, my God, what happened? I says, I don't know. I'll, I'll pay for any damage. He said, damn it, they want the one that went crazy, come back and do it again and do it that same thing. That's how it stopped. That's how it started. How same. far back was that, Rip? Was that like in the 60s, late 60s, well, early 70s? I'll tell you how far back it was. I was going to the theater to see the play, and they were aiming at me and shot Lincoln. That's how far ago it was. And I stopped. <laughs> I just stopped. My throat's telling me, it and... makes me long. Stop it. <laughs> I remember watching Merv Griffin, and I'm dating myself here. I remember watching Merv Griffin as a kid there, and in the first iteration of his show, he was great for bringing on people who could tell great stories, yourself included. But well, he, he also stories, had... He got stories out of us, too, don't forget. We, he, we he was good go at that. It. And then he had, as a sidekick until the man died, Arthur Treacher, the old oh. British character actor, who was very oh. droll and so I think there was a great mix of conversation going on there, and then you could come in and just tear up these cards and have fun with it. You added yeah. the spice. You brought the energy. It was rude. It was outrageous. It was irreverent. That's why it worked. At what point was it that you met Elizabeth Taylor? You had Taylor and Taylor. What? What? Tell me that story. I was doing a, a show on Broadway called uh, Sugar Bear. Uh, Mickey Rooney, who just passed, uh, was doing Sugar Babies on Broadway with Ann Miller. There was a vacancy. That Mickey was going to leave the show. He'd done it enough. And they said, why don't we get Rip Taylor? And right away, the producer, well, he, that nightclub comic, he has no discipline. He's not an actor. All that stuff. They just see what they see. They don't go, you know, you know what I'm saying. So I went in audition. They said, well, maybe he might fit. So Mickey helped me get the part. Right? So now I'm doing the book. Debbie Reynolds was the one that directed me because we're still joined at the hip. Her and I are friends to the end. And she helped me get the part with the memorizing and helped me learn the acting and the delivery and all that. Then Mickey helped me with the comedy. And I go and audition and I got the part with Ann Miller. Now we go to Broadway. At rehearsal, Ann Miller walks on stage and says, If he throws his that damn graffiti, I'm not going on. And Debbie said, it's confetti. She said, well, then I'll go on. I mean, this is how these things happen. You can't make any of this up. <laughs> and there I am on the stage doing Sugar Babies with the great Ann Miller. And I said to the press agent, oh, my goodness, Elizabeth is down the street. I met her with through Debbie years ago. We weren't friends, but, you know, acquaintances, Elizabeth. 
and lovely fun, nothing but fun. And I said to him, if she's doing little foxes at the Mark Hellinger, no, we were at the Mark Hellinger. If he sees little foxes at the Mark, whatever the heck theater she was doing it in, put down in print on the ad. Now, I'm telling the press agent this on Broadway. Look at this. Put down another Taylor hits Broadway. He says, she'll never do it. She'll never talk to you. You're what are you, nuts? We can't do that. I says, just a second. I went down to the dressing room after the theater, ran into her dressing room. I says, Elizabeth, I want to get billing because I'm on Broadway with the thing, and I want to put it in another thing. She says, get over here. We're taking a picture. So we took a picture together, her and I. And I went in the next day to the press agent, and I said, did you, did you talk to Elizabeth? Yes. I said, well, she agreed to take the picture. He said, not at all. I said, then put this picture in the ad when you do it. And I handed it to him, and they fired the press agent for an hour, scared the hell out of him. And I got what I wanted, and I got billing, and that's because Elizabeth said, okay, take the picture. You cannot you know, that make says any a lot. of this up. You cannot no. anticipate. Well, there's the principle it, involved, it says, too. Yeah, it says a lot about Elizabeth Taylor that she yeah. would be gracious enough to do yeah. that. Yeah. And, and and it's a principle Gary's always talking about. And, and before that, I, that's right. This Well, this is the great thing. There and I also would add, you know, parenthetically that uh, when you that was a great gesture, like showing him the picture, boom, right in his face. He couldn't claim it was photoshopped; didn't exist uh-huh. back then. It was uh-huh. the dang picture, you know. Uh-huh. But look, the principle involved here, Rip, is that you illustrate in a very big way the value of simply being willing to ask for what you want. If somebody says, no, you don't collapse in a heap, maybe you're unhappy about it, but we all get unhappy. The thing is, you seem like the kind of man who is willing to go after what you want, and if you want something, you have sense enough and you have guts enough to ask for it. Yeah, well, that's what it was, but I wasn't overpowering. I just all they could do is say no, or are you nuts? And that's fine. Now, you know That never killed anybody, so it's that's just fine. And it also... And the flip side of that is, if you don't mind me mentioning it, I mean, here, you you know, you deal with people from all walks of life, the high and mighty, the famous, many, 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 too many entertainers to count. So there's Liz Taylor, and she agrees to take the picture with you, has a reputation of being a good sport that way. God bless her. But then you run into someone who is not that way. You tried to get a picture with Betty Davis. We were backstage doing a benefit for some charity, Debbie and I, because we still do our act together to this day. If you believe it or not, you're wrong, because we still do. And we were doing a benefit, Betty Davis, because she had just done a catered affair with Debbie. Debbie had done the you know movie with her and Harry Borgnine. So Elizabeth, uh, 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 Debbie was going to introduce uh, uh, Betty. Uh, we were standing in the wings together. And I don't know Miss Davis, so I walked over. I said, good evening, Miss Davis. She said, how do you do? And I said, maybe take a picture. She said... If you have to, and turned her back to me, and I took a picture of her back in my front. <laughs> and I have to say, the Internet being what it is, there's lots of gossip all the time, and especially about celebrities. And that's what I have always heard, unfortunately, about Betty Davis. Magnificent actress, not so much fun to deal with in person unless you are a true muckety-muck with some power in the situation. If you're a fan or if you're somebody who's just working a job as you were, that she could be this way. So what happened to you apparently isn't unique. Exactly. When they did the movie with her and Joan Crawford, Joan Crawford was just the opposite. She'd go go to your house (laughs) and take the picture. Gary and I had a Gary and I had a funny experience with Debbie Reynolds when the last one of the last times that he and I were in Las Vegas together, we were just sitting in a Kino lounge, and apparently Debbie Reynolds was going to be billed at the uh, the resort that we were at New Orleans, and um, and out of the my peripheral vision, and and I didn't have a good look at all; it was just fuzzy. I can see some uniformed guards escorting somebody. And you know what my thought was? You know, they, they got some kind of fraud, huckster, heist, you know, somebody who's trying to perpetrate a fraud on the casino is being let out by these uniformed guards. They walked right by us. I mean, two feet away, I could have touched her mink coat. And I looked up, and it was definitely not anybody involved in anything illegal. I look up, and there was Debbie Reynolds. I yeah. gasped as as they were le- they were just kind of escorting her to backstage yeah. or wherever it was she needed yeah, to be. Yeah, we all do that. We worked th- there a lot. Yeah, yeah. We so I thought do. that was kind of funny. Yeah, good. Good. We That's a nice do, place. Yeah. yeah, we're still at it, having more fun than the audience. <laughs>
The bad thing is we don't Has care she who ever... gets the laugh. We don't care who gets the laugh, and that's too rare about two funny people. Yeah, yeah. Yes. and and I would imagine the same thing applied with you and Phyllis Diller. Oh, you beat me to the pines. Oh, sorry. I really, Rip, I'm telling you, when I watch well, footage, I see it was, on YouTube. She, she was certified. You two together. My mind's, made up. my mind's made up. That was it. <laughs> she was <had> fun. <laughs> but oh, God, but you two together, you had that byplay. Ah, oh, the screaming laughs we had. And so, oh. and when you would get on, I mean, this is this is two pros at work. I say that when I when I reference that because I've seen this on YouTube and I and on TV before when they were doing retrospectives and so forth. When the two of you got together, I, I kind of think in a way that there there was a bond that probably was shared in a similar way by uh, George Burns and Jack Benny. I mean, they could crack each other up, yeah. but they knew how to play back and forth. That byplay was constantly we knew, going. We knew when to wait. Well, that's important, too, isn't it? Very. Did Phyllis Diller ever pull something on you that you weren't expecting? Uh, I don't think so. She gave me a, one of her wardrobe uh, coats, which I still wear in my hat. I wear all yellow feathers, and I put rubber chickens inside. She screamed when she saw it. <laughs> oh, that was Phyllis Diller's coat, huh? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, that that's something that uh, people can also find on YouTube when they're when they're looking at Rip Taylor. That I, that yeah. big yellow feathered. Uh, I believe you wore Lord, that, yes. did you not? When you worked uh, when you were on the Late Show with David Letterman yeah, there that, in yeah, Vegas on, da on David Letterman's show, he never spoke to me. Never spoke to me. Never spoke to me. Are you no, talking no. about before you went on or after you went off? Both. Well, now, see, this is that now you're in our wheelhouse, Rip Taylor, because there and believe me, I say this without any venom whatsoever. I'm not a big David Letterman fan. You know, I always thought Jay Leno was great. and He's getting trashed left and right these days. But I still like Jay Leno. I think he's a wonderful guy. But when we talk about the the people who get famous in show business, I'm endlessly fascinated by those who manage to be authentically themselves, however zany that may be, like a Rip Taylor, you are who you say you are, you are who you present yourself to be, and that's your reputation. Then you have somebody who's entertaining lots of yucks, They're, people want their autograph, they want to be around them, and the persona on stage does not match the private behavior, much to the dismay of those people who idolize these celebrities. And David and, Letterman and is one of them. It surprised everybody. It's, it's, it's annoying. How did you get so far being so rude? I I wonder myself, and that that was going back a ways. I mean, he did not have the CBS chair at that time. I mean, that no, he, he was the guy no, on after not. Carson. I know. Well, there's a lot more to be said about that, and of course, we want to talk about Rip Taylor's and Merv, one man Merv show. Merv was just the opposite. Merv would move, Merv would move in with you. <laughs> Couldn't get rid. Of him. We would scream laughing at Sardis next after we finished the show. And man, oh, that's nice. And Andy had the Midas touch. He comes up with Jeopardy in its new version. Boom. I mean, the guy, he knew his way around a dollar bill, that's for sure. Rip, well, give us a second. Well, you know they play while they're waiting for the answer. He made $50 million just for the 18 bars of music. There you go. Perfect example. Oh, my God. Let us take a quick break, Rip. we got a, a short uh, two-minute break. When we come back, we want to take this up. And, I, and I'd like to get your reminiscences of the people that you have worked with, particular shows and the dollar 98 beauty show of course a unique program and uh, anything you want to share about your one-man show because you're 50 years worth of stories in the making and we're really privileged to have you with us rip taylor is the man this hour and with all the kleenex and the coughing don't you worry we're going to give him a cough break i think we need one too getting over this and uh two minutes from now more with rip taylor on manson mitchell you are listening to alternative talk am 1150 Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Sign up for early notice about future shows on a spam-free listserv. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. 
Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Are you passionate about living a healthy and more balanced lifestyle? If so, Seattle Natural Awakenings magazine was created for you. Seattle Natural Awakenings is a free monthly publication full of information on fitness for the whole body, mind, and spirit. And it is your go-to magazine for local events, classes, and retreats. You can find Seattle Awakenings at health food stores, educational centers, libraries, and wherever free publications are generally seen. Or get the latest issue online at seattleawakenings.com. If you are the owner of a green, healthy, and socially responsible business, we invite you to promote your natural, holistic product or services with Seattle Natural Awakenings. We reach over 40,000 readers interested in healthy living in the greater Seattle area. Call 425-350-5448 for more information. Even doctors in the most sophisticated tests can't always find the source of a health issue. But there is one authority that always knows, your own body. Hi, this is Maureen Manucherry, the host of Where Energy and Medicine Meet. At a brand new time slot, Thursdays at 9 a.m. You don't want to miss her exciting guests along with her wonderful insight. Check the events page on my website to find out where I'm doing book signings in your area. And don't forget to tune in on Thursdays for the Marie Manucherry Show. Talk radio with a difference. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. $1.98 Beauty Show, and thanks to Rip Taylor, we just have 50 years of laughs and wonderful performances. And the man has a million connections with those in show business without losing his common touch, nor his, his penchant for confetti, as a matter of fact. Thank God we're on the radio. Otherwise, we'd be getting splashed right now. And Rip... Again, bless you for doing this show, and I want to give you an out. If it starts to feel too bad, I know you've got this flu that's been working its way around North America, and if it gets to where it's a little too difficult, we have some great YouTube clips we're going to play, and we'll be your laugh jockeys if you have to get off the line, so just know that. Sorry, I didn't plan it. If you did, then that would be a problem in itself. We went went through the same thing, and it's about two weeks getting over it, So, uh, but it does pass, thank God. But I did want to ask you, Rip, you know, when I hear the stories of most of the great comedians, some of them start very early writing gags, as Woody Allen did for Sid Caesar. I think he was 16 or 17 when he began doing that. And uh, he had his own, you know, prototypical Jewish difficult childhood in New York. And there are many, many, many such stories. Your own childhood, the comedy that you do, and not just the persona, but your actual character as a man, if you look at yourself today and look at where you started, do you see the roots of your comedy in the kind of upbringing that you underwent? Uh, not in the least. Not at all. No, no. I didn't even think about it because I had to get away from that because that was horrendous, and I don't want to linger on that. But we all grew to that. No, it wasn't that at all. I, I uh uh, I was drafted in the Army, and I sent to Korea, and I said, well, I'm going to get killed, and that was the end of that. So on the troop ship, I had heard, uh, you know, they played music, but we all were throwing up, going up from the waves, and, oh, it was horrendous seasickness. And they played music all day long to keep us awake and to get our, our troubles. And I went into the radio station on the thing, and then Mario Alonso was singing Be My Love or something like that. And I, I stood there next to the engineer, and I started singing along with him, Be My Love, because I knew the words. And he said, well, wait a minute. Don't don't you sing. Move your lips to the same words he's singing, and it, it'll, look, it'll look like you're doing it. And I said, what? And I did it, and that's how I learned record pantomime. And I said, well, hell, let's put on a show. He said, what? I said, well, let's. Do something because everybody's stored up and getting nauseous and scared they're going to die. So I get on, ask the commanding officer, "Can we put on the show?" Do you know how? No. Well, what, go ahead. And I got on this. Anybody who has any talent, me, Private Taylor, in the mess hall. We, I'm going to cut to the chase. Put on a show, a talent show, as we're heading to Yokohama to go to Korea to get killed. And we did a <laughs> talent show, and I get to Tokyo. And they said, you're in special services. I said, what does that mean? Well, you're an entertainer. And what? 
what? What? Do you, what? So I got an ent- uh, entertainment at the Ernie Powell Theater where they put all the shows. It's bigger than Radio City Music Hall. And that's how I got into special services, putting on shows and doing shows at Record Panama. And that's how it all started. Then one day I'm cutting way back to the chase. One day the record broke and I haven't shut up since. <laughs> Do you think sometimes, Rip, that getting that designation as special services seemingly inadvertent, and I'm a person that doesn't really believe in accidents. Do you think that that may have saved your life? You were planning on getting killed in Korea. No, no, not in the least, because they'd sent our shows. Are you sitting down? Are you yes. sitting down? Yes. They're sitting, they sent our shows to the front. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, oh, my yes, God. Yes, 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 yes. We saw the we saw the trees aiming at the show. Oh my God! I says, "Put me in the back." Hell, we were in the front. They're trying to entertain the ones going to the front. Oh, it was hysterical. Now this is interesting. How a wartime experience will lead to a career in show business, <laughs> where comedy is essential. Much the same thing happened, as I recall, to Jack Parr. He was an entertainer. He had all these troop shows, big troop shows during World War II, during one of which some rule was broken, and they hauled him away in handcuffs, and it, was, it, was, it wasn't a gag. I mean, the MPs took him away for some reason. And so word reached Life magazine that there was this guy, Jack Parr, and he was doing this show for the troops, entertaining them very well. And the next thing you know, he starts an act, gets, gets involved in radio, and ultimately becomes one of the early hosts of The Tonight Show. There's a sense of destiny around it, Rip. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way. Maybe so. I just kept moving on. You know, when you were that age... But the thing is, I had more fun than the audience, which was why we did it. You you know, it seems when I I look at your comedy, it it looks like it was all self-generated. I'm wondering who made you laugh when you were young? Uh, I don't... I don't know, but I, I, I did not like the older ones because I didn't know what they were talking about. They were talking about their family and their past, how they started in the ghetto. I never knew what the hell they were talking about. And when you, you started know, out, I just, and I know... I never knew it. I never knew. I liked Milton Berle because he was outrageous. You'd look at Funny. Sure. I didn't think of it as With a the hand, rabbit I teeth. Was, and, I, and I adore my biggest uh, uh, fan. I was a fan of Red Skelton, of course. And then one I, day, I saw, years, years, yeah. years later, I'm, I'm at the Sahara, I'm at Harris Lake Tahoe with Sammy Davis. We're doing a thing, and then I, I toured uh, for a year and a half, two years. Uh, we did Sugar Babies up there with the, uh, Julia Prowse and I did Sugar Babies at Harris Tahoe, and next door was uh, Red Skelton. So I go over there between shows to meet him, and I, I couldn't believe I was meeting my idol. He was Jesus. Come on in. And I started crying. I just, I'm going to tell you. I started crying. He said, what's the matter? I'm meeting Red Skelton. He says, oh, my God, I am. And we hugged each other, and that was it. And in 10 seconds, in walked, in walked uh, another uh, Emmett Kelly, the clown. Oh, the clown. In the same right. dressing room, I took a picture. I could not believe what I was going through at that moment in my life. Wow, what a magical moment that was. Yes. And what yes. an influence someone like yes, Emma Kelly would have had on Red Skelton, yes, because I remember on a trip to Hawaii, oh, they I went into a gallery. Yeah. Oh, sure. And I remember being on Waikiki and walking through a gallery, and here are dozens of pictures, all of clowns, by the way, by yes. Red Skelton, where I yes. actually was face-to-face with his work. He was quite an artist, but you might say he had a case of monomania. I mean, he had the clowns down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As a young girl in as a young girl in Chicago, my parents actually took me to see Red Skelton for a birthday, and I can't remember what birthday it was, but I know I was very young, and at that time I really didn't know who he was. But it was interesting years later when I see photographs of the Chez Paris in Chicago, and there I am with Red Skelton, and uh, it's a it's a treasured um, treasured photo that I have of, of him. Uh huh. But there's also how people with the generations, and thank God for TV and reruns and now YouTube, because people tend to forget, and this to me is a little poignant, Rip, when Suzanne and I made our last trip to Chicago, where she is from, we're visiting family, and we went to the broadcast 
Hall of Fame there in Chicago. Fascinating place. We enjoyed it a lot. But, you know, as luck would have it, they had the, uh, or we went in <laughs> on Red Skelton's 100th birthday anniversary. Oh. Red Skelton, 100th birthday. I'm looking at the um, picture of him where he is enshrined in that Hall of Fame. And I go, wow, if he had lived, he'd be 100 years old today. And do you know, and I say this with, with some regret and shame culturally, there was no celebration. They had one big celebration going on that week. They were celebrating the comedy and the life of Gary Coleman. Now, I'm not saying anything against Gary Coleman. May he rest in peace. Nothing against him. But if you've got Gary Coleman, different strokes, and you've got the 100th birthday anniversary of Red Skelton, this is why you need to have collective memory because there was no mention of it at all when there should have been the celebration and the cake and the balloons around his picture. This is why collective memory is so important. It's why one-man shows 50 years into a career, why one-man shows are important. It's the collective memory of pop culture. Uh, yeah. I went to Red's funeral. It was just packed with people. Packed. Just marvelous. Your one-man show that you've had in Los Angeles apparently has been running with a wonderful acclaim. And how is it that uh, you're now taking that on the road? You're going to New York with that? I'm going to take it to a little off-Broadway theater. My dear friend Cheetah Rivera said, bring it to Broadway. You'll sell out. Everybody will come and see you. And I said, well, I might do it in the summer. Yeah, because I, now I know the words backwards and forwards. I had, I had to read cue cards even doing my own play because I forgot the sequence. I kept getting so involved when the audience was laughing and not laughing. You know, that's good, which we, we worked it out that way. It worked that way. But it was very surprising that they came because every time before I would go on stage, I said, is anybody out there? And they said, oh, yeah, and it was it was so packed. Thank God. Because you're not, you don't well, take granted, you know, that I'm doing. You know, they. What's he going to do? His act? No, this is a play. Oh God! Oh God! What's it going to be? You know, <laughs> that type of thing. And it well, wasn't you know, a you, pity you, party, you... and it wasn't a tribute to me. It just told you a sequence of how it happened. Right, it's still right. Happening. <laughs> Thank goodness. There's something you know. that needs to be pointed out about you, and I got this from an interview that I watched this morning on YouTube. When you take a dramatic turn, you're involved in a play, in a movie, wasn't there a time when directors thought, oh, God, he's going to be a cut-up, he's going to go off script, we don't need the ad-libbing and the uh -huh. confetti and all that? But you uh -huh. believe in being focused, and you had a point to prove to those folks. That was the director's choice uh, in an indecent proposal with Demi Moore and Robert Redford. He was Adrian Lyon, the director. He said, take off the hat, meaning the wig. And then we rehearsed it only twice, but the casting director was the one that got me the part. It was just brilliant. He worked with me for about two days. And then I had to go on the set. Redford was really wonderful to me. Woody was wonderful. And then I have to meet Demi Moore. Now, Demi Moore, I go in the dressing room and I say, Debbie! She says, it's Demi. <laughs> there you and go. I said, and I, I said, it's the whip. And then we hit it off. But what a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm, I'm not saying. Well, you know. yeah, I mean, that's who I did the scene with, as you know, in the movie. It was a wonderful right. scene with the director making it wonderful for me. <clears throat> but she could have been a problem yeah. and ended up not being one. I don't know how you can get divorced. She was married to Bruce Willis. I don't know how you can get divorced after he gave her, and I can't remember whether it was a Christmas present, anniversary, or a birthday, but nevertheless, Bruce Willis got her a $600,000 dollhouse for her collection. If that doesn't say love, I don't know what does. Oh, God, that's wasted time. Sad. But all of these people with the public persona, and then you catch them in private, some are lovely people and some are not. One of the reasons why I'm so glad to go to any George Clooney movie, not only is he a magnificent actor, but everything I've heard about George Clooney revolves around his graciousness and even genuine friendliness to fans and strangers where you say hello to him, can I have a picture, and you ask him a question, and then he wants to know your opinion. It's like you're talking to a neighbor across a hedge. And this is George Clooney, the latter-day Cary Grant, talking. And if he can do it, I figure anyone can. But time yeah. and time again, I find out that these celebrities are just 
for the lack of a better term, hard asses. They're, they're just hard on people or they want to ignore you. And that always hurts a little bit because without the fan base, without the people buying the tickets and all the merchandise, they're nowhere. Yeah, but they forget that sometimes. They buy into the PR. Rip, Rip I wanted to ask you, did you write all your own jokes, or did you ever use writers for your jokes? I, I only hired writers for the Sullivan material, Ed Sullivan. You had so when you know, brought everything... Because they were, they were older men who knew Sullivan, knew what he would like people to do, and that's what it was, yeah. And you were big on props. I mean, you, oh, yeah, you always I had a lot, that, of, a lot I, of... Yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of visual stuff. I love that. And did you... Did you put that all together yourself? Did you invent yeah. all that all that yeah, stuff? All that, yeah, yeah. Almost like early recycling. <laughs> well, it was it worked for me. Got me so far. And then that kid's doing it now. Whatever his name is, I don't want to say because he's not a nice person. And he's called the king of ah. so he, no, he's not. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, no, I understand. Not. And he he works. He's a mainstay in Las Vegas. We're talking about the same guy. Well, it's not a mainstay. You rent the room, and you're a mainstay, period. Got it. You rent, okay. you rent the room, and if they, they buy tickets, it's your room, period. That, that's that's mainstay. <laughs> I see. But these people yeah. are in your debt, you know, and it's a shame if they don't acknowledge it because nobody does not get influenced. I look no, at I music, look for example. Way. There's room for all of us, but don't tell me you're the king. And, I, and I'm not the king either. I just thought of something easy rather than memorizing, period. Jesus, God, the kid is so, oh, God, the key believes it. That's his problem. Well, that's it. And when you refer, you yourself are referred to as the king of confetti, but that's a way of having fun with the whole notion well, of being a king decision. of anything. It's not mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I so, who cuts up all that paper for the confetti? That's what I, I want to know. Nuns, I have three nuns doing it twenty-four hours a day. Really, <laughs> you keep them busy like that. Very yeah, good. Yeah, and, they, and it's it's for it's for their good. Yeah, it keeps them busy. Well, it's still a man's world though, because you couldn't get monks to do it. They want to stomp the grapes at the vineyard. They have all the key gigs. I'll do the joke. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And we'll take a break. You do the jokes, I'll take the break. We're going to go ahead and take our, our last break of this hour. Just a brief one. It's just two minutes long, so stay with us. And our conversation with the indomitable Rip Taylor. Please uh, stay with us on Manson Mitchell. You're uh, listening to Alternative Talk, AM 1150. They know they're quite nutritious And so delicious They'll lick the dishes And, and soon you'll realize how impactful Your kids' involvement in the arts can be They'll get better grades Make more friends and express their individuality When they learn to play some music Act or paint or dance or write creatively Hot from the toaster and filled with the essential creative thinking skills of an 18th century musical genius, Mozart Toasties are an important part of an arts-healthy childhood. Studies show that involvement in the arts helps kids increase test scores and promotes academic achievement. Feed your kids the arts. For 10 simple ways to learn how, visit americansforthearts.org. The arts. Ask for more. Brought to you by Americans for the Arts, the NAM Foundation, and the Ad Council. Are you passionate about living a healthy and more balanced lifestyle? If so, Seattle Natural Awakenings Magazine was created for you. Seattle Natural Awakenings is a free monthly publication full of information on fitness for the whole body, mind, and spirit. And it is your go-to magazine for local events, classes, and retreats. You can find Seattle Awakenings at health food stores, educational centers, libraries, and wherever free publications are generally seen. Or get the latest issue online at seattleawakenings.com. If you are the owner of a green, healthy, and socially responsible business, we invite you to promote your natural, holistic product or services with Seattle Natural Awakenings. We reach over 40,000 readers interested in healthy living in the greater Seattle area. Call 425-350-5448 for more information. 
I'm Gary Mance. And I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Fridays and Saturdays at 10 a.m., Mance and Mitchell get up close and personal with authors, experts, and celebrities discussing everything from pop culture to the paranormal with a dash of politics on the side. We also share spiritual insights from around the world in ways that shine a light on issues that matter most to you. Light up your life with a little help from your friends. Bringing you fascinating talk since 2007. We are Mance and Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Don't touch that dial. You might miss something life-changing. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell in our last segment. Glad you were with us today. We certainly hope that it's been worth more than $1.98 to you. Guaranteed, when you have Rip Taylor on, you're getting getting your money and then some. And uh, our special thanks to you, Rip, because we know you're badly under the weather, and yet you're doing the show anyway. So thank you so much for that. I wanted to, let's move on to something happier, in fact, hilarious. I think one of the great moments in game show, TV game show history happened, and it seems to have started with the word Episcopalian, and it went crazy from there when you were working Super Password, hosted by Burt Convy. Tell us about it. Yeah, Patty Duke was the other so-called celebrity myself. We had a partner, and the word was, uh, uh, testimony was the key word. And as each one is giving a clue, we want them, they, the person to say the word testimony. So we, we hint, we hint, we hint, and to get back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Eventually, Patty looked at her partner and said, testimony, which is the word, which is not how the game is played or why it's being played. Well, I went crazy. I tore off my hair, threw it at Bert Conby. I said, well, if Helen Keller can speak, for God, the people screamed. <laughs> and I knocked the chair over the set. I knocked the set over, I, and he put my hairpiece in his chest like he had hair on his chest. And it was a hysterical moment in television. And then at the end of the show, the, the producer who did not, did not, did not ever want me on his show says, we're going to have you back. I said, we'll see. He, he didn't How want you like back. Egg rolls? Yeah, he didn't want you before you came on, but after all of that, he decided it was okay to throw the show up in the air like that? He said it was the best moment of television on his series. I said, I didn't plan it, mistress. I don't think I looked like taking over. She's the one that said the word, and she knew the game before I did. But see there, Rip, you had that sense of timing. When I watched that footage, and again, it was this morning, I saw it, Suzanne and I were rolling. It was so funny. For you to jump in, this is the value of experience and have the instincts besides, originally perhaps, where you just jump in and you knew, you didn't know how it was going to turn out, but there had no, to be some trigger for you where like, okay, that's go time, and you jumped in and you made TV history with that. I mean, what, what if you just sat there and said, well, that's a bummer, she gave away the word, then you don't have anything but embarrassment, but you turned it into hilarity. And no one ever gave the word before, so they thought, you know, they, I don't know if they thought I'd give the word, I don't know what they thought about me, but they sure the hell did not want me. <clears throat> now they asked me to come back, I said, but we'll see. Did you ever go back on, on no. Password? No. You didn't? Okay. No. You I have worked with... Else. I was working elsewhere. I wasn't, I wasn't being childish. I'm not stupid for visibility. Right. I was busy. Right. Well, and it seems like your career really went to a lot of places. You did hundreds and hundreds of television shows. You did some serious acting. I mean, you have really met a lot of people in the industry. Rip, this is uh, Mike and... Uh, um... I've just got to ask the question here while we only have a few minutes left is uh, you spent a lot of time with um, Chuck Barris. Uh, you were on the gong show and also uh, on the dollar uh, 98. What, what was your relationship uh, with uh, Mr. Barris? Well, he was the one that wanted me to be the host of the dollar 98 beauty show. And I said, I can't wait to do it. And it was wonderful because no one believed anybody could get away with that type of a show meaning putting, uh, making fun of women. And I never once, ever, ever was rude to the contestant or said anything derogatory. When he handed me the script, I said, no, no, I won't say that. You have the announcer say that about the person. I won't do it. When they came on fat, I said, oh, we've let ourselves go, precious. I would do things like that, not say you fat lady or you're not attractive. I would have the announcer make fun, and I would yell at the announcer for doing it. So I was on their side. So you now. must not be a big, then you must not be a very big fan of Simon Cowell. Not at all. 
don't. I yeah, don't, I, I don't, I don't understand. Think, uh, well, on the on the talent shows, I mean, you have to evaluate, but I really hate any form of media that tries to score cheap points at another human being's expense. I think of it as unethical. Yeah, he can't wait to do it. That's that's his business. You see how happy a man he looks. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, going back to Chuck Barris, though, for a minute, Mike was asking about Chuck Barris. I'm very curious about that. I, I definitely need to ask you this. Having seen the movie about his life, do you feel that Chuck Barris actually worked for the CIA as a field agent, undercover? I don't believe. I don't believe a word of it. None of it, huh? Didn't happen. Not a, not a molecule, do I believe? But knowing him, no, it's I'm... probably all true. Or it was so unpredictable. Unpredictable and. Um, Charmingly a neurotic a in his way. Genius for what he wanted. He got what he wanted. A genius. You know, late, late well, he was the kind of guy. About him now, even. Yes, yes. And, and the thing is, he knew how to market, too, because I could recall, I didn't read it, but I remember that he wrote a romantic novel. I don't know, he just had the urge to do it. So he wrote that during the time when there were long gas lines with the whole fuel crisis and OPEC and all of that. And I remember reading in the L.A. Times that this book, it was just like where you wouldn't expect to see an ad for a book written by Chuck Barris, and it was great for sitting in rush hour traffic or waiting in gas lines. And I thought, this is a guy who knows how to market himself. To get better than that, you've got to be in Dick Clark territory. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Brilliant. You knew he'd had to make it work, and it worked. And then with the other shows that you did, I can't let you get away without asking. You know, you got Center Square, too, which, you know, after Paul Lynn, that's some pretty tough shoes to fill. You were Center Square, Hollywood Squares. Was that a lot of fun to do? You looked no. like you were having fun. No. But you weren't? Not, really? No, not in the lead. Not, they treated me like dirt. I hated doing it, and I'll never do it again, and they didn't ask me back. Well, now, I hope this didn't have to do with uh, perhaps a long shadow cast by Peter Marshall. He seemed like such a nice, pleasant no, man he, as the MC. Peter's, Peter is an angel. Peter Marshall, wasn't, he wasn't the host. It was uh, <coughs> someone else. And so you went ahead unhappy. and very unhappy. It, it always pains me to think about how people aspire to be in show business, whatever phase of it they're in. They get into show business and you really see the underside of that gunky rock. It's shiny on top, and inevitably life turns that rock over for you, and you see the underbelly. I've heard it about movies, of course. I've heard it about TV, naturally, and the music business as well. And people have these stories about what it takes to survive, not just flourish. That's great if it happens. But to survive being in that business and dealing with people that want to treat you as though you are less than human. <clears throat> you spot them as you walk in the door. Now, does that happen with someone like yourself? Did that happen because of all your experiences? I mean, foster home system, you went off to war, etc. Or is this something that, you, that requires experience and you give up your naivete after a while? Uh, I don't know. I guess it came from, uh, you can spot them a mile away. I mean, you can just spot them. I, I don't understand how to tell you. I don't know what how to word it. Well, you know, the thing is, it's it can be difficult to avoid it. And, man, here's a big disappointment. I only found this out recently. I hope it's not true, but I can't find any contrary evidence. I grew up thinking that about the nicest, funniest gentleman in the theater and the movies had to be Danny Kaye. With the rubber face and all the, the crazy dancing, the moves, the body language and all that, the Danny Kay, what a fun guy, and the children loved him and all of that. Everything I have read about Danny Kay from those who had to work for him or with him tells me that he was almost universally despised within the industry. Danny freaking Kay? And, and I'm going, if it can be true of him, I don't know how people survive in show business. I would never have expected that of someone like him. Oh, God. Yeah, he was one of my idols. I never met him. I never met him, but he was so talented. God, what a family. He talented. And the wife did it. Well, that... She wrote all the material. So talented. I didn't know that. His wife wrote the material? Oh, yeah. Oh, everything. Sylvia Fine wrote everything. Wrote, how about the Tchaikovsky song? She wrote that song, too. Put it all together. He 
she did. She he did. She she did everything he said. Wrote wow. it all. Well, that's right. as close as I got to Danny Kay was I saw him getting into a limousine after a Dodger game at Dodger Stadium. And, I, hey, that's Danny Kay. And that, that was about it. Uh, but I don't know how much snark to believe. You know, it factors a little bit into what we do here on the radio because we want to talk to people who know how to have a good time and who uh-huh. are enjoying their lives. We'd rather be positive than negative. And so uh, when I do run into so much negativity, I'm, I'm taken aback a little bit. I really am. And I'm grateful that that doesn't seem to be the case with you. Maybe you're sadder but wiser. You know, at the end of a long career, you look back and you know what it is to go through all the tough times. But you don't seem to have lost your spirit. You don't seem to have lost no, your zest. No, not at all. Not at all. Just fill the ice trays and do the next show, please, by God. Fill the ice trays. That's the, that's the secret. Yeah, yeah. So... so Coming up now with your one-man show, where do you want to take that? And I understand from talking to your publicist, the wonderful Harlan Bull, there that uh, I think that wasn't there kind of a documentary film made as you went along doing this show? Uh, yeah, we're doing that now. We're doing documentary of the whole thing. I'm dealing with some people who are keeping me waiting too long, which I don't have that type of patience. But uh, it's almost finished, and then I'll, we'll keep you posted about that. Remind me, it's called Rip Rip Hooray. Perfect. I, wa- rip, I wanted rip, to hooray. call it Ripped Open, but they didn't like that title. Sounds like a slasher movie. <laughs> no, I like Rip, Rip, Hooray. Yeah. And so you're going to have a documentary movie in addition to your one-man yeah, show. We're just so- finishing it now. They're adding the, where I got my star on the Hollywood Boulevard. But just uh, They're just adding that at the end, and then it's finished. We waited two and a half years. I could have done it in an hour and a half, you and I. Well, did, you didn't just get your star recently, though. Haven't you had that star on the on Hollywood oh, yes, Boulevard for a long I'm time? I'm talking about, talking about people putting the documentary together, the ones I'm dealing with. Oh. so overwhelming. Well, it's interesting you should mention that because when I've talked to people who are trying to get a TV show in production, a couple of different people of my acquaintance, both of them said the same thing. In the film business, movies or TV, it's always a case of hurry up and wait. And they find this maddening. You hurry up, yes, rush, oh, this is an idea with a bullet, let's go. And then you wait and wait interminably. I'm not sure why that is, but that seems to be the experience. And it's so annoying. So annoying. We could have done it in a day. And then put some time into editing it, and there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've won awards we deal with. We've had, they've passed the credentials. You know, they've won awards. It isn't why we hired. Well, Rip, oh, we want God. to thank you very much, Rip Taylor. I know it, it's a bitch, but you will get through it. Believe me, uh, we have oh, the same doggone God. thing. So we wish you good health and many good times ahead. And thank you so much. We're thank grateful you for, for your time today. Yes. No, I mean, thank you, you very st- much, too. And keep in touch. And find out I'm still at it. Oh, you bet we we'll, will. We'll definitely do that. And thank you for giving us your hour today. It would be a pleasure to talk to you again anytime. So that's your choice. Don't forget a price on your head. Take it. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Rip Taylor, everybody. <laughs> we are 60 seconds. Thank you so much, Rip. God bless and be well soon. Thank well, you, that bye. was quite enjoyable. Yes, yeah. A A living legend. A living legend, that's right. An icon of American comedy. What a pleasure to have Rip Taylor on. Poor man, sick as a dog, but the show must go on, and he kept our show going. I don't always like to get snarky, but you know, when people have this facade out there, and then they act a different way privately when the cameras aren't on, there's something... there's something about that that just gets my attention, and I like to talk about it on the radio. So join that's us next it for today. Friday. Next Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, next edition of Manson Mitchell. Until then, have yourselves a wonderful and healthy weekend, everybody, and stay tuned to Alternative Talk 1150 KKNW.